0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Fleeting Science, Fleet Science Center's brief podcast of all things science. Today, we're talking to Dr. Lisa Will, who is the resident astronomer for the Fleet Science Center. I'm Wendy Grant, Director of Marketing and Communications for the Fleet, and I'll be quizzing Dr. Lisa Will. You're up for that, right?
1: I'm up for that. Thanks for having me. (laughs) So Lisa, how long have you been with the Fleet? Oh, You know, I think I've been doing the Sky Tonight Planetarium shows since 2012, so we'll just safely say several years. Many
0: years. Many years. (laughs) And what else do you do besides um, astronomy here at
1: the Fleet? Uh, I am a professor of physics and astronomy at San Diego City College, and I also am the co-host of Astronomy on Tap San Diego. Oh, that sounds fun. Yeah, yeah. So every couple of months, uh, me and uh, Nick Nikolitsky from UCSD host astronomers at breweries around town uh, so that we can bring science to the public, just like we do here at the Fleet.
0: I love that and um, Lisa mentioned the sky tonight that is a monthly planetarium show and Lisa's there live and our planetarium instrument flies you through the universe safely from your seat in the IMAX dome theater and Lisa tells you about what's going on in the sky up above so speaking of the sky up above there's something happening on January 20th what's going on?
1: There will be a total lunar eclipse visible from San Diego if the sky and the weather cooperates here. So uh, let's hope the rain goes away. Um, It's happening in the evening, Sunday night. Uh, The totality of the eclipse will be visible from the partial, the full, till when the moon is no longer eclipsed.
0: Very good. Um, I've heard that's also called the blood moon. That sounds so ominous.
1: What does that mean? Why is it called that? Uh, Some people like to call lunar eclipses blood moons because the appearance of the moon can be anywhere from sort of a golden color to a deep red. Uh, But that is actually due to atmospheric conditions here on Earth. So a lunar eclipse occurs when the moon is in its full phase, which means the Earth is in between the sun and the moon, and the moon crosses into the Earth's shadow. But the Earth isn't completely solid. It's got this layer of atmosphere around it and so sunlight filters through the atmosphere and still can fall upon the moon Uh, the locations on earth where the sunlight is filtering through the atmosphere those are the locations that are experiencing sunrises and sunsets so what Hmm. some people call a blood moon is actually all the light from all the sunrises and sunsets on earth falling upon the moon so it's actually quite lovely to think about
0: yeah that's positive not (laughs) not scary exactly which is why you will (laughs) never hear me refer to it as a
1: blood moon (laughs) got it
0: Pretend I never said that. (laughs) So when people are watching the lunar eclipse, um, should they be aware of anything when they're looking up? Any safety? Uh,
1: No, not at all. Uh, Unlike the the solar eclipse from a few years ago, where you had to have safety glasses or uh, the solar eclipse glasses, lunar eclipses are completely safe to look at. Um, So all you need is your eyes. You don't need any sort of special instruments like telescopes or binoculars. But if you do have
0: telescopes or binoculars, you're going to get a really cool view, right?
1: You will get a really cool view, but I, myself, personally prefer the view just with the naked eye. Uh, That's where you're going to get the biggest color contrast uh, Mm. with everything else. Because if you're taking a look at the moon uh, through a telescope, you're just going to see a small portion of it. It's going to appear brighter to you. And so I actually think just going out with the eyes is just fine. Gotcha. And so what will you see? You'll see possibly the color right so uh because uh we will see the entire eclipse from here in san diego at first you're just going to notice sort of a dark shadow falling upon the moon as the moon goes through the earth's shadow and so you're just going to see one side of the moon get a little dark and that dark spot will f- cross the face of the moon from our point of view and then when it's completely eclipsed that's when you tend to see the sort of golden or yellowish color. Once again, that's dependent on atmospheric conditions here on Earth. And then it will start to get brighter again as the shadow continues to move across the face of the moon. Now a solar eclipse only lasts a few minutes, but the total solar excuse me, the total lunar eclipse that we'll be observing on Sunday night, that totality will be about an hour in length. And wow. Right. And the partial eclipse, so basically going from when it first starts to when it ends is about three hours long.
0: That's a whole event. Yes. Speaking of which, I think there's an event here at the Fleet Science Center that night. Why,
1: yes, there (laughs) is. There'll be multiple activities starting here earlier in the evening, including a special Sky Tonight Planetarium show where we will talk about how lunar eclipses occur in the planetarium dome. And that, I believe, will be starting at about the same time the partial lunar eclipse starts, and then we'll be able to go outside and look at the lunar eclipse.
0: Awesome. So that'll be you in the dome theater, Dr. Yes. Lisa Will. People will be able to ask you questions too, right?
1: Yes. That's actually one of the fun things about our Sky Tonight event is that uh, it is a live Q and A afterwards every time. Awesome.
0: And so this eclipse is this is this rare. How often does it happen?
1: So uh, lunar eclipses uh, happen about w- a little bit over once a year. Um, or I guess I should say once. Every Um, Mm year-ish, but they're not always visible from San Diego. And so, in fact, the next time a total solar excuse a total lunar eclipse will be visible from start to finish here in San Diego will be 2022.
0: Ah, so see it now, (laughs) because it'll be gone for a few years. Awesome. Anything else we should know about the lunar eclipse? I think that's it. Okay, we are fully informed on the lunar eclipse. (laughs) <laughs> and you can come to the Fleet Science Center on Sunday, January 20th for that event and get to see the Planetarium show. And then we will have telescopes outside for you to be able to observe the lunar eclipse. Um, but you can also look up with your own eyes, as Lisa said.
1: Well, there'll be lots of other pretty things to look at, too, uh, in nearby. I believe the moon's going to be in the constellation Cancer, from mm-hmm. our point of view, when this happens. There's a lovely star cluster in that area as well. So there'll be other things to look at as well as the moon if we have a good clear night okay oh, let's hope for that the
0: san diego astronomy association is helping us out with the telescopes and we really appreciate their help with that um how did you become an astronomer by the way um
1: i actually i usually blame star trek um uh <laughs> my i just grew up around science fiction and fantasy as a kid and I actually thought space travel was already happening and possible from Star Trek. And it was rather a disappointment to me to find out that all <laughs> of that was fake. And so that actually had me uh, interested in finding out what actually was possible. So I started looking, flipping through the encyclopedia and magazines and stuff like that when I was really young. So, you know, probably eight or nine years uh-huh. old. Yeah.
0: And then you went to school and.
1: Yeah, so so I went to UCLA for my undergrad and got a bachelor's in astrophysics, and I have a PhD in physics from Arizona State.
0: And now she's here in San Diego. Yay. Yes, (laughs) yes. So there's some astronomy news we'd like to talk to you about, Um, some recent revelations. So one is that the far side of the moon is not actually dark, unlike what Pink Floyd might have you believe.
1: (laughs) Yeah. So Pink Floyd has made astronomers' lives very difficult for a long time. Um, (laughs) 50% of the moon is always dark because the moon shines by reflected sunlight. So we see the lit up side, right? But the lit up side isn't always facing us. Um, So what actually has happened recently is that there has been a Chinese lander that landed on (laughs) the far side of the moon for the first time. And so what we call, what astronomers call the far side of the moon is the side of the moon that never faces the earth. Um, And so uh, I've always found it fascinating because despite the fact that the moon is our closest celestial neighbor, uh, almost half of it was hidden from our point of view until spaceflight started in the mid 20th century. We could send spacecraft uh, around um, to the other side of the moon, but this was the first landing and that happened um, the first week of January.
0: And did they discover anything interesting, or do we know yet? Uh,
1: They haven't discovered anything interesting yet. Uh, What is interesting to me from an engineering standpoint is one of the reasons why we haven't landed stuff on the far side of the moon previously is we communicate uh, data via radio signals. And because... Uh, if you have a spacecraft on the far side of the moon, it can't aim through the moon at the Earth. So what the Chinese Space Agency actually developed was it—it it is beaming signals to a satellite that is near the moon, and then that satellite is uh, forwarding the data. And so it's actually a really uh, interesting mission from that engineering standpoint.
0: Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, the InSight landing that happened recently. What can you tell us about that? Uh,
1: So the Mars uh, InSight landing is a NASA, that's a NASA mission that landed on the moon, I believe, excuse me, on Mars uh, in late November. And uh, its goal is to study the interior of Mars, which is one of the reasons why they came up with some weird acronym that comes out to InSight, because it's InSight into the interior. Um, The most interesting part of that mission to me is the seismometer. Uh, this uh, this mission is not a rover-like curiosity. Uh, it is a lander, so it's stationary. And for the first time, uh, a lander has used a robotic arm to place an instrument on the surface of another world. So it has placed a seismometer onto the surface of Mars, and the goal is, is to see if Mars is geologically active, like with Mars quakes. Yeah. And uh, they think the seismometer should be sensitive enough to actually pick up uh, impacts. so like if Mars is getting hit by meteors and stuff like that. Ooh, that's interesting. Yeah, for me, I find that really interesting. So I'm hoping for impacts, but that's just me.
0: (laughs) Sorry, Mars. (laughs) But it'd be more interesting if there were impacts, right? (laughs) Exactly, exactly. Awesome. And then another recent um, astronomical happening is the New Horizons flyby. And I know you know about that because you recently did a whole planetarium show about that.
1: Yeah, so the New Horizons spacecraft mission, some of you might remember it from 2015 when it was the first spacecraft to reach Pluto. And uh, ever since... and, and anyway, is Pluto a planet again? Pluto or not? is not a planet. No. Pluto okay. is too interesting to be a planet. Do not feel bad for Pluto. <laughs> Pluto's fine. But um, <laughs> so uh, when the spacecraft uh, flew by, Pluto it was going over 30,000 miles per hour. That's too fast for Pluto to capture it with its gravity. So it just kept on going. And what the team, what the New Horizons team uh, did uh, during the time that the New Horizons spacecraft was traveling to Pluto was to see if there was any other object out in the Kuiper Belt, this region way out past the orbit of Neptune in our solar system, um, if there was anything else wrong the along the spacecraft's trajectory that they could go look at. And they discovered this object, which is called 2014, because it was discovered in 2014. M MU- a unique name. <laughs> right. 2014 MU69. Uh, along roughly along the spacecraft's trajectory and it got to it on new year's day this year and so it is the most distant object in the solar system system ever visited by a spacecraft and so that was really exciting um it took a bunch of data as it was flying by once again at over 30,000 miles per hour and over the next 20 months that data will be coming back to us on earth and is New Horizons just still Trucking out there? It is It is and I don't know I know the team wants to look to see If there is the possibility of anything else Along that trajectory yeah. uh, The I believe it has a couple Decades more of uh, basically battery power to keep it going so it's just you know space is big and we are small and so it's a matter of whether or not there's anything out there close enough that it could actually visit it as it keeps going at over 30,000 miles per hour out there in the solar system yeah that's that's speedy <laughs> it is because we had there, there had to be a decision made um, we could send a mission to pluto and have it travel slow enough that Pluto's small gravity could capture it, but we still wouldn't be talking about it yet because it wouldn't have gotten there. Right. Or we could go faster, take pictures as quickly as we can, and keep going. Those are the (laughs) options.
0: What do you think that um, we might learn about Pluto from those photos? Do we have the Pluto photos yet?
1: Oh, we have the Pluto photos. Okay. The Pluto data has been absolutely fascinating because it shows a younger surface than we ever would have expected. It shows a world hmm. that was probably more geologically active than we ever would have thought for something that's smaller than our own moon. Yeah. Um, and then from the 2014 MU69 flyby, we've already gotten back some data that's really, really interesting. It looks like... Um, Basically, uh, an object that was formed by collision because it ba- it looks like two spheres sort of glommed together, like a like a, like a snowman. It was was what a lot of people are calling it. Um, it is not very reflective, uh, um, and uh, it has uh, some reddish coloration to it, uh, much like we saw on Pluto and places on Pluto's largest moon, Charon. Uh, the 2014 MU69 in particular is very interesting because It is thought to not have been altered much by heating or geological activity since it was formed. And so there is Hmm. a, a, it should be able to tell us a lot about the early history of the solar system. Right. And so do we know what that is,
0: 2014? You're saying it faster than I can say it. So, sorry. Um,
1: so out in that part of the solar system, the materials are usually sort of ice and rock mixtures. Um, and so we do definitely see uh, evidence that there are ices on it. But the more rigorous understanding of what the chemical compounds are. that That's the sort of data that's still coming back. Because what happens is when you're flying by so fast, is you send back to your team, hi, here's a picture, all's good. And then you focus all your instruments on the object while you're flying by. And then you start sending the data back slowly. So one of the first things that... Um, the team looked at to see if the mission went well, the flyby went well, was, oh, look, the computer hard drive is full, right? They like it it filled up with the data. And so that data gets sent back at very low bandwidth um, back to the earth. It, when the flyby occurred, the spacecraft was over six light hours away. And to give you a sense of scale, the moon is just about a light second away from the earth. The sun is about eight light minutes from the earth. So six light hours is pretty far. So this data is being sent back. um, And the higher resolution data, the higher resolution images haven't even gotten to us yet. So it should be fun to see what else we saw. But this object's really tiny. It was only about 20 miles long. So, yeah.
0: That's amazing. Yeah. But then you have to wait. (laughs) We have to wait. So expect to hear more. Okay. Anything else you want to talk about, astronomically speaking?
1: All right. So another mission that didn't get as much love as it probably should have because of the New Horizons uh, flyby happening at about the same time was when the OSIRIS-REx spacecraft went into orbit around the asteroid Bennu, making it the smallest object in the solar system that we've had a spacecraft go into orbit around. Why Um, are we visiting something tiny? All right. So it is an Earth-crossing asteroid, which means there is a small possibility of it hitting us at some point in the future. Don't worry about it. That, that Just go to s- sleep well at night. It's okay. Um, I'm a little worried. Yeah. Well, I'll, tell, I'll tell you <laughs> when to worry. We don't got to worry about this one quite yet. Um, it is um, big enough for us to go into orbit around, but small enough that it's a, a very typical asteroid in that way. But probably the most interesting thing about this one is that we are actually going to uh, be able to get a sample of it back to Earth. Uh Towards the end of its mission, it's going to lower itself, grab a sample, uh, put it in some, you know, basically grab a sample, have it in a pack, and that pack will be jettisoned back towards the Earth. And so this is a sample yeah. return mission, which is really exciting. Yeah, that's really cool.
0: Yeah. So an asteroid is made of what?
1: So uh, typically... Or are we
0: finding out when we get the packet?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Typically, we tend to think of asteroids as being rocky. Uh, The majority of asteroids are in the asteroid belt in between Mars and Jupiter. Because of its proximity to the sun, um, ices are not as common out there, although we are finding evidence that there is ice present on or there can be ice present on some asteroids the dawn spacecraft that recently finished its mission um around the uh, uh, the asteroid series uh found some interesting stuff uh, including the possibility of uh, ices on uh, locked in the soil of ceres and so yeah there's been a, there's been a lot of stuff going on in the solar system to talk about over the last several months but the New Horizon Flyby and I, I think the OSIRIS-REx mission also both really, really interesting right now.
0: Yeah. And is and NASA's doing both of those? Those are both NASA missions. Yes. Yeah. Sometimes people still think NASA's shut down, but NASA is alive and well and doing really interesting things.
1: Yeah. Um, when the space shuttle missions stopped, a lot of people thought that meant NASA went away and absolutely not.
0: Good. Yay, NASA. Yes. <laughs> So, let's go back to the lunar eclipse for a moment. So, the lunar eclipse will be visible in San Diego, and what's the timeline on that?
1: So, the timeline, the partial lunar eclipse will start at about 7.30 in the evening, and the full eclipse will start around 8.40 in the evening on Sunday, Um, and it will be a full eclipse till around 940. So like I said, the the totality lasts about an hour for a lunar eclipse, as opposed to just a couple of minutes for a a solar eclipse. Yeah, so a lot of good time to look at that and Yes. Snap photos.
0: And snap photos.
1: And, and, snap photos, and um, that means even if it's partly cloudy, there's still a chance that the moon might be uncovered at some point at that time. So uh, so even if you see clouds, don't give up. You've got like a whole hour to go out there and hope to see that reddish moon in the sky.
0: Yeah, good point. Yeah. And you know, now that I think about it, the last time... That I looked at one, yeah, it was like 2 or 3 in the morning. Like, you really had to stay up late. And this one, it's nice because it's not so late, and a lot of people have Monday off as a holiday.
1: Oh, that's right. I forgot about that. Yeah, so no excuses.
0: Yeah, that's right. (laughs) So it's a good time to stay up and look in the sky and see what you can see. And if you want to take a photograph, any tips for photographing, you don't need a special lens or anything,
1: right? No. In fact, if you're one of the people who have been frustrated uh, by trying to take your cell phone and capturing a photo of the moon, it's even easier because the contrast isn't as great. So one of the reasons why your night sky photos might not be working so well if you try to take a picture of the moon is that the moon is so bright compared to the background. Um, When you have the less contrast, uh, it's actually easier to get features on the moon during a, a lunar eclipse this way.
0: Oh, that's good to know. Yeah. All right. So the Instagram should be full of mind blowing (laughs) moon photos as long as we have clear skies sometime in that hour
1: window. Yes. Yes. I'm hoping to see lots of pretty pictures.
0: (laughs) Oh, good. Me too. Do it for the gram people. (laughs) (laughs) Speaking of which, you can follow Fleet Science Center at Fleet Science on Instagram. Um, We're probably not taking moon photos, but um, but who knows? We'll see. We do have lots of other lovely things we take pictures of and even video. All right, Dr. Lisa well, thank you so much for being with us on Fleeting Science, the Fleets podcast, and we look forward to seeing you on Sunday, January 20th for the lunar eclipse. Thank you very much.